0: Log Talk
1: Radio.
0: You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It is Tuesday, December 8, 2015, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. The next Pleiadian lineup will be in May of 2016, and we're now gathering the Star Starseed Crystal Quest to Arkansas, which starts May 15th through the 21st. This is a reunion of a particular soul family, which we call the Crystal Soul Family, and it's identified by having at least one of these six star markings, either, either natally or progressed, 25, 26, or 27 degrees in Taurus, Scorpio, Aquarius, Leo, Capricorn and Cancer. This soul group has the rites of passage where crystals are concerned, and when they come together in Arkansas, magical things happen. If you feel the call of the crystals and aren't sure if you have the markings, I'd be glad to take a look at your charts quickly and just let you know if you have them. You can send me your complete birth info, make sure you include the date, the exact time, Place of birth and your current location, and email to crystals, that's plural, crystals at starseedhotline.com. So, tonight we are happy to have one of our favorite guests with us. Gwilda Wiyaka has dedicated her life to bridging science and magic using modern applications of ancient shamanic principles. She's the founder of Path Home Shamanic Arts School and is also a preceptor for the University of Colorado School of Medicine, where she provides instruction to medical doctors on the modern interface between shamanism and allopathic medicine. Her latest book is entitled, We're Still Here, So Now What? Gwilda is also the host for the Science of Magic radio show, which is broadcast internationally through the X-Zone Broadcasting Network, and that website is www.xzbn.net Her episodes can be found on thescienceofmagic.net and her website is gwildawiaka.com and gwilda is g-w-i-l-d-a wiaka is W-I-Y-A-K-A.com. At the top of the show it's the Starseed News with Anastasia bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Fiona and Vanya for hosting the Switchboard this evening. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com. And thanks to Tammy, as always, for her dedication to the forum. You can download our show podcasts on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page using the cloud with an arrow icon. We'd appreciate your support of our show, and you can do that by clicking follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notice so you know what's coming up. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. Remote healing sessions for people and pets are also available with Tammy. If you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. Find out when it happens by requesting your solar return timing. And if you want a Stage 2 interpretation of that chart, please order at least two or three months ahead of time to make sure you get it in before your 10 hours. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia. So good evening, Anastasia.
2: Good evening, Ariel. Good evening, Starseed listeners. It's great to be with you. (laughs) It's going to be a wonderful show tonight. You know how I love shamanism. It's great. Well, solar activity right now remains low. However, right now, Earth is inside a broad stream of solar wind flowing from a rather large coronal hole. Earth will remain under the influence of this solar wind stream for the next two or three days. Now, during that time, polar geomagnetic storm probabilities are as high as 50%, according to NOAA. And there's been a daytime Occultation of Venus. Did any of you see that? Yesterday, on December 7th, people in North America saw something remarkable in the daytime sky. The crescent moon passed directly in front of Venus and covered it. Now, the convergence of the moon and Venus was plainly visible to the unaided eye from Canada, Mexico, and 49 of the 50 U- United States. Only Hawaii didn't get a chance to see that. There were pictures of that on the internet, and it was very mystical and pretty. Well, we've had a lot of volcanic activity going on in the past few days. For example... The Momotombo volcano in Nicaragua erupted for the first time in over a century, forced thousands of people to evacuate an area of about four miles surrounding the Momotombo volcano. After it erupted, uh, actually it was 110 years since the last eruption, it's been spewing lava, ashes, and smoke. They say the seismic tremor there is increasing, and the volcano's crater uh, is exploding every four seconds. That's a lot of activity. And (laughs) there's been a new Mount Merapi eruption in Indonesia, with increased rumblings at 21 other volcanoes in that region. There have been deafening explosions of hot gas that's rattled evacuees miles away from the volcano today, the latest eruption in in a deadly week. Uh, people have been killed at this. Increased rumblings were reported at 21 other active volcanoes in Indonesia, 21 others, raising questions about what's causing the uptick along some of the world's most volatile fault lines. Now, no casualties were reported in Mount Merapi's new blast, which came as Indonesia struggles to respond to an earthquake-generated tsunami that devastated a remote chain of islands. Now, the two disasters unfolded on opposite ends of the country have killed nearly 500 people and strained the government's emergency response network. In both events, the military has been called in to assist people. Now, Merapi has killed 38 people since it started erupting a week ago. Monitoring officials have raised alert levels at some of the 129 active volcanoes in Indonesia, with two under watch for possible eruption within two weeks, and 19 are showing increased activity according to officials. And wow. in Guatemala, Fuego volcano uh enters a new eruptive phase with increasing activity. Now Volcan, de- <laughs> got to get this right. Volcan de Fuego translates from Spanish into the volcano of fire and that's located about 31 miles from Guatemala City. Now, lava fountains have reached as high as 1,000 feet above the crater, sending lava flows to a distance up to 6,500 feet. The eruption is accompanied by strong explosions. Uh, Observers are saying that these explosions are causing shock waves throughout the area, and ash plumes are reaching a height of three miles above sea level. And in Mexico, the Colima volcano has spewed a column of gas and ash into the sky. In the latest of a series of intermittent eruptions, Mexico's civil protection authorities say the column rose 2,500 meters over the crater before it was pulled by winds. An explosion prompted the civil authorities to warn nearby residents to watch for falling ash and to wear face masks masks when going outdoors. Now, this particular volcano has been exhibiting continuous activity since July 9th, and it was also very active uh, earlier this year in January and February. Now, you know, Mexico contains over 3,000 volcanoes, but only 14 are considered active, which to me is quite a bit, 14 volcanoes active. And in Italy, Mount Mount Etna has erupted and closed a nearby airport. The airport of Reggio Calabria in southern Italy has been closed due to a plume of airborne ash that was spewed out by Mount Etna. It began erupting last Thursday evening. In the course of the eruptions, the volcano also, again, spewed out a lot of black ash, which, of course, went kilometers into the sky and, they say, emitted spectacular fountains. Now, you know, this affects our environment, our our weather, the upper atmosphere. We've got a lot of volcanic ash circulating around the planet at the moment. Often that causes cooling temperatures. Of course, we have El Nino counteracting some of that. But nevertheless, it is a good thing to keep an eye on all of that volcanic activity. And in Julian, California. A shallow magnitude 3.2 earthquake was reported last week. It was on Wednesday, nine miles from Julian, California, according to the USGS. And uh, it was uh, 22 miles centered from, excuse me, tw- it was centered 22 miles from Alpine, California, nice little town, and 24 miles from Ramona, California. So if you've been in that region, did you feel it? And there was a large earthquake that hit Tajikistan, and it was felt as far away as India, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. It was a magnitude 7.2 earthquake, according to the USGS. Tremors were felt in Delhi and all across northern India. Hundreds of people ran out of shaking buildings and stayed out on the streets because they were afraid of aftershocks. Well, there has been a new study which claims that there's a catastrophic loss of the world's arable land in the past 40 years. In fact, 33%, one-third of the world's arable land has been lost to erosion or pollution, according to a new report. And the study's authors are calling for vital action, warning that global disaster could have severe effects on world food population. They're actually calling this a global disaster. The study was conducted by researchers at the University of Sheffield's Center for Sustainable Futures, and it involved analyzing numerous pieces of research published over the last decade. Now, scientists concluded from this research that nearly, again, a third of the world's adequate or high-quality food-producing land has been lost at a speed surpassing nature's ability to replace the diminished soil. Well, that could be pretty concerning. And remember last week we talked about Beijing and their pollution. Well, guess what? They've issued another one. Beijing has issued a red pollution alert, its most severe smog warning, for the very first time. The government has warned that the Chinese capital could come under a heavy haze from Tuesday until Thursday, today until Thursday and authorities say they issued the alert to protect public health and reduce levels of heavy air pollution, and so they ordered certain industrial companies to stop or limit production and outdoor construction work to be banned. Primary schools and kindergartens have been urged to cancel their classes, and people have been advised to avoid outdoor activity and to use public transportation if they have to travel and traffic restrictions have been placed on certain types of vehicles, and cars have been limited to driving every other day, depending on the last number of their license plate. This is really unbelievable, people. Beijing is an enormous city that's millions of people who have no air to breathe. Wow. Wow. Just think about that. What are we doing? Well... I mentioned El Nino earlier in conjunction with the volcanic ash that produces cooling, but the current extreme El Nino is now the strongest ever recorded. It smashed the previous record from 1997 to 98. Now, it's already wrecking havoc, they say, according to New Scientist magazine, on weather around the world, and the new figures mean those effects will probably get worse. Now, the 1997-98 El Nino killed, according to this study, or this article, I should say, killed 20,000 people and caused almost $97 billion worth of damage from floods, droughts, fires, cyclones, and mudslides. They say that now that the current El Nino has passed the 9798 on a key measure, uh, they say that uh, we ought to be aware and alert. I uh, don't know what they think we can do about it, but anyway, that's the voice coming out of New Scientist magazine about El Nino. And I don't know about you all wherever you are, but where I am, this is the eighth of December, and it has been extraordinarily wonderfully warm, very unusual. Well, on the West Coast, scientists monitoring the spread of radiation in the ocean from the Fukushima nuclear accident report have found an increased number of sites off the U.S. West Coast showing signs of contamination from Fukushima. Now, this includes the highest detected level to date from a sample collected about 1,000 miles west of San Francisco. Now, the level of radioactive cesium isotopes in the sample, which was 11 becquerels per cubic meter of seawater, about 264 gallons, is 50% higher than other samples collected along the West Coast so far. But it is still, according to this report, 500 times lower than the government's safety limits for drinking water. Mm. Well, you know, that's a typical response from the authorities. However... There's something else we need to think about in connection to the Fukushima contamination of the ocean. A startling new report says in no uncertain terms that the Pacific Ocean off the California coast is turning into a desert. Once full of life, it is now becoming barren, and marine animals, seabirds, and fish are starving as a result. Now, according to Ocean Health, quote, The waters of the Pacific off the coast of California are a clear, shimmering blue today, so transparent it's possible to see the sandy bottom below. Clear water is a sign that the ocean is turning into a desert, and the chain reaction that causes that bitter clarity is perhaps the most obvious on the beaches of California, where thousands of emaciated sea lion pups are stranded. Well, the same is true of seabirds on the Washington state coast. Oh, by the way, that's an end quote. Sorry. Well, what's happening to the seabirds along the coast of Washington? According to a University of Washington seabird ecologist said, this is just massive, massive, unprecedented. We may be talking about fifty to 100,000 deaths of seabirds so far. And the list goes on. We are looking at massive die-offs of starfish, sardines, and other animals. Even the National Geographic Organization is noting that these die-off events are simply unprecedented to modern knowledge. So a lot going on. And they may say that the radiation level from Fukushima is uh, safe to drink. They can say that all they want. But, you know, this just might be killing off these animals. We just don't know. Pretty hard to get a straight story from authorities when uh, the information might be alarming. Just go back to sleep, everybody. That's that's what they want us to do. Well, there is a fascinating story out of Discovery News, you guys. They have found out that dolphins use sonopictorial form of language. Now, this is about interspecies communications. In a scientific first, Researchers have just reproduced what a dolphin saw as it encountered a male diver. The the what-the-dolphin-saw image of the submerged man reveals that dolphin echolocation results in fairly detailed images. What's more, it's now thought that dolphins may share such images with each other as part of a previously unknown marine mammal language. Now, a research leader with Dolphinspeak.com, or excuse me, SpeakDolphin.com, said in a press release that, quote, our recent success has left us all speechless. We now think it's safe to speculate that dolphins may employ a sonopictorial form of language, a language of pictures that they share with each other. If that proves to be true, an exciting future lies ahead for interspecies communications far out. Whoa. That gives me goosebumps. Yeah. Think about that. They see pictures. Oh, that's just fabulous. Well, uh, you know, Russia can be a pretty cool country, and in this case, uh, Russia is aiming to become the world's biggest exporter of non-GMO food. Yep, that's according to RT Magazine, which says, that Russia could become the world's largest supplier of ecologically clean and high quality organic food. And this is according to President Vladimir Putin on last Thursday when he have, gave a speech. He also called on the country of Russia to become completely self sufficient in food production by 2020. Quote, according to Putin, we are not only able to feed ourselves, taking into account our lands and water resources. Russia is able to become the largest world supplier of healthy, ecologically clean, and high-quality food, which the Western producers have long lost, especially given the fact that demand for such products in the world market is steadily growing. So, good for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a little trouble in uh, California's uh, San Joaquin Valley. Uh, You know, that's the richest farm region in the world, but people are now, live in that region, are puzzling over the notices that they're finding posted on their front doors. It appears that there's real danger in their drinking water. According to one resident, I'm quoting, it says you can drink the water, but if you drink the water over a period of time, you can get cancer, Now, the woman who said this belongs to a working-class family that has no choice but to keep drinking and cooking with this tainted tap water every day. And the woman said they don't explain. They're not telling us what's up. Well, what's up is, is that uranium, the stuff of nuclear fuel for power plants and atom bombs, increasingly is showing up in drinking water systems in major farming regions of the U.S. West, Uh, It is a byproduct of irrigation, of drought, and of the overpumping of natural underground water reserves, as in fracking. Now, an Associated Press investigation in California's central farm valleys, along with the U.S. Central Plains, uh, notes that authorities are doing little to inform the public at large of the growing risk. Everything from state agencies to tiny rural schools are scrambling to deal with hundreds of tainted public wells, which are more regulated than private wells under safe drinking water laws. Well, in Colombia, something exciting has happened. They discovered the holy grail of shipwrecks. They, uh, <laughs> excuse me, I beg your pardon. They found an 18th-century Spanish galleon that went down off the country's coast with a treasure of gold coins and precious stones valued between four billion and 17 billion dollars. The multi-billion-dollar ship, called the San Jose, has been at the center of a decades-long search that also involved foreign legal battles. They say, without room for any doubt, we have found. 307 years after it sank the San Jose galleon called Colum- uh, the San Jose galleon that's what the ship is called and they announced that in a press conference just a couple of days ago they say an international team led by the Colombian Institute of Anthropology uh located the wreck at the at a depth of about 800 feet so wow can you imagine that is a lot of treasure up to 17 billion dollars worth Some people are really going to be happy about that. Probably had a lot of investors, but that is a lot of money. That's quite a find, 307 years after it sank. It's amazing the kinds of treasure that the ancients had at their disposal. It sounds to me like probably the whole ship was filled with treasure. You know, there's a lot of treasure buried all over the world. My goodness, just... um, Uh, thousands of years' worth of treasure that people have squirreled away. Anyway, that's an interesting archaeological find. And Lavendar did say we were going to be uncovering many things, and many things are being uncovered. A lot of those things I don't cover in the news, we just don't have time. But all over the Middle East, they're just, oh man, they're just finding all kinds of interesting stuff. So that's going to be it for tonight's news, because
0: I want to leave room for our wonderful show. Well, we're going to take just one more minute because tomorrow's your birthday. (laughs) Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Anastasia. Happy birthday to you. We love you.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much. Arielle, that was just beautiful. Thank you so much. I'll never get so happy welcome. birthday sung to me in a more beautiful voice than that. Thank you so much,
0: everybody. You're so welcome, and I'll, we'll I'll, you I'll talk week. tomorrow. I sent you an email about that. Okay, thank you so much. I love okay. all of you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much, Anastasia. So, um, right now, I'm going to bring Lavendar and our special guest, Guilda Wiaka, and I'm going to get Lavendar's mic open. Oh, the screen jumped. Where'd you go? There you are. Okay, I'm going to get your mic open, Gwilda. All right, ladies, welcome to the show, Gilda.
3: Hey, thanks so much for having me again.
0: Oh, it's well, this our is
4: door, and I love having you on the show because you're so equipped to bring us up to speed on what shamanistic uh, values are. And why don't we just start by saying, give us your definition of what is shamanism.
3: Oh, okay, great. Yeah, and this is my definition, um, because um, mostly shamanism has been studied by anthropologists and from the outside, and it looks like a mystical, magical, superstitious practice um, from that viewpoint. But actually, shamanism is an organized set of rituals designed to help the practitioner focus their natural ability to manage matter at the quantum level.
4: Yeah, that makes sense. And And how did you get into shamanism? How did it first start for you?
3: Well, I'm one of those people that kind of came in pretty sensitive anyway, and um, then I came into a situation where everybody around me was very volatile and fairly abusive, and my life kind of depended on me being able to really sense what was going on around around me and dodge when when it was time to dodge when somebody was about to go off, so I really refined my ability to read what was going on in the frequency of the energies around me, but what that did was it went on default, and I didn't know how to control it, and so by the time I was in my 20s, I was over overwhelmed with all this input, almost like being autistic. So basically I was receiving shamanic information, but didn't know what to do with it, didn't know how to control it, didn't know how to how to field it, and um, that's kind of what got me started is my search to manage what I would become.
4: Well, I understand now that you have uh, an occupational school of the shamanic arts. Uh, tell us about it. You founded it. You're the director of it. Uh, and what do you
3: teach there? Yes, it's it's been... Um, I was trying to remember it. I think it's been uh, certified by the state of Colorado for over 15 years. Um, And what I teach is shamanism from the the basic stuff up to, through being a certified shamanic practitioner and a certified shamanic instructor um, so that people can offer this healing modality in a um, uh, reliable and um, um, consistent way to people of today. So, Every shamanic practice has been um, preserved by the indigenous people, but then it's been kind of outside of time and space for a while because we've basically tried to eradicate it off the planet. And so the form has come through, but the rituals no longer fit our people of today. And and what my job has been is to, to use the tried and true principles and develop a form that agrees with or works with and makes sense to the people of today.
4: Now, do people come to, do you have like a um, dormitories? is it a school where people come and stay, or do they do it o- online? H- how is your setup working there?
3: Well, we've we've changed over the years, and um, we are now in retreat format. We've changed the school into uh, six blocks of study, so that people can take it as uh, you know go through it as quickly or as slowly as their time and finances allow. But it's a retreat kind of thing. You call it a school without walls. In other words, you set up a retreat situation where people can come and study for a week. Um, so we have it in that format. And I'm also people are you know don't have time and, and resources uh, at this point a lot of times, but they really need the information and so i'm really expanding on our online courses as well you can't get totally certified online but you can certainly learn a lot uh, for your personal growth and development and take some of the classes that you do need to apply towards certification online so i'm I'm dedicating a lot of my time and energy towards getting those up and running more
4: so are are they online now or is it something that you're going to be doing in the future
3: both i have some up online now and i'm going to be adding to them Okay. Uh,
4: I understand you're the host of the Science of Magic Radio. And how did you uh, decide
3: to do this program? And how'd you get into radio? Kicking and screaming, quite frankly. <laughs> um, I had uh, done several, quite a few interviews with Rob McConnell of ZX Zone Radio. And um, he and I just started bouncing stuff back and forth. And he was wanting to do, he said he wanted to do a special on shamanism. Um, through his radio program, but then when he approached me, he says, actually, I want you to start your own radio program through the Exxon Nation, um, and I said, uh, really, you know, unencumbered by any knowledge of broadcasting, <laughs> but it, one thing led to the other, and that's that's what I'm doing, and it's really exciting, because the slant that I have on it is bridging science and magic, because that's what I've had to do all my life, um, you know, I, I teach doctors about the interface between shamanism and allopathic medicine, at the University of of colorado school of medicine and you have to really be able to talk both languages and i found that that's really kind of the gift that i can bring because i you know my background is scientific as well as shamanic and i can make i can i can see where they do bridge that they aren't uh you know diametrically opposed to one another and so i interview scientists and i interview mystics and we bridge together how this stuff is actually coming together during these times when the truth can't hide
4: Right. Oh, I love this. I love what you're doing. So tell us, how can people listen to your programs? Where do they go to find it?
3: Right now, they can uh, find all uh, my programs on my website, uh, www.thescienceofmagic.net, and they can um, access them there. We're going to do a big release probably February where we're broadcasting them internationally through the Exxon Broadcast Network. So I'm pre-recording, and we want to have quite a few in the bucket before we release them that way. But I'm recording one just about every week, and they can always be found um, at thescienceofmagic.net. Also, if people uh, join my um, mailing list on that website then they get notification of new ones coming out as well okay good now you wrote a book called so
4: we're still here now what and um, tell us about how you came about writing this and what prompted you
3: well again it you know I'm kicking and screaming <laughs> unencumbered by any prior knowledge um, I kept having people ask me you know you you give these talks you give these lectures this stuff comes through uh, where can I find out more where can I find out more well uh, where's a book? Well, it hadn't been written. And so eventually I kind of had to write it. And I realized in hindsight that it was really also a bridging of science and magic. And it came out around the time of the uh, 122112. 12 uh, It was released just after that. And that's where the name came from because, you know, from everything I was seeing, we weren't going anywhere, okay, but everything was going to be changing. And so that's what the book is about, It's what really did happen, what really is changing. And we're still living that change. Uh, we're still seeing the effects of it and will be for quite some time. The challenge is, how do we change with it rather than being blown away by it? And that's what the book is about.
4: So the COVR Visionary Awards Alternative Science Division, you won uh, first runner-up. What, what is that and what does that mean?
3: Yeah, the coalition of, of visionary resources is this beautiful group, and they work um, out of um, um, the International New Age Trades Show, and they have these uh, amazing this amazing banquet every year, and they have awards. And they have a whole board that goes through all the, the different awards. Um, so they, a whole board that reads the books, or a whole board that listens to the CDs, or you know, it's, it's very very formal, and they just do a beautiful service. And so my book was put in and I was chosen as first runner up which is it's like a lot of competition it was it was amazing and what's interesting is the lady that won the first place um actually ended up getting book of the year award as well so it you know it was it was really fun to be rubbing shoulders with high powered people that are really making a difference in the world and cover the cover coalition for visionary resources really lets that happen in a good way
4: good So you have to be a shaman to benefit
3: from your book? Oh, absolutely not. That's the whole point. Um, it takes you from having no clue what shamanism is to a much deeper understanding of the way life is working and why things are going on as they are and why you're relating to them in the way that you are. Uh, it was written for um, anyone that wants to pick it up and read it. But within it, there's a chapter on how, learning how to journey. And a per- person can use the book and, you know, purchase a CD to, you know, for the drumming and actually start to learn to do some of the journey work. And that is the that is the backbone of every shamanic practice practice is the altered state of consciousness known as the journey trance,
4: right? So you do private shamanistic healing sessions. How how can people benefit from this particular shamanistic healing?
3: Well, I do long distance sessions and people can find my sessions on the school website, which is www.findyourpathhome.com and then they just click on the private sessions portion and they can sign up there. What shamanic healing does is makes us more whole. It helps us regain the bandwidth of frequency that we've disconnected from through generations of damage. Therefore, we raise our frequency. The planet is going through a time uh, where its frequency is raising, and so we can... join in with the evolution of humankind by having our frequency return to us and actually evolve beyond our limitations. And I think that shamanic healing is really the core to this.
4: So it also promotes personal power, right?
3: Absolutely it does. Um, We are restricted to the, you know, we restricted to, um, the level of our frequency. In other words, if we have a very narrow bandwidth of frequency, the more the more narrow it gets, the less our lives work, the less things function well. And we call that a shamanic illness known as power loss. And um, soul loss uh, is another term, and basically all that means is you're losing bandwidth of your frequency because you have to disconnect in order to survive, and then you never know how to reconnect. Um, if we can reconnect to our potential, uh, the personal empowerment is exponential. It's amazing to watch.
4: Now have you put together any shamanistic uh cards like tarot cards? Have you done anything like that?
3: It's funny you should ask. I'm in the process of creating the Science of Magic game, and it's going to be an entire game board whereby all of these principles are, are incorporated into um, a game that is educational and children can play it and adults can play it, and it's multidimensional so that you can move up the rungs. and It's, it's really fun to put together. You're nothing if not intuitive, huh?
4: Yeah, so... Um I guess you have the star beings and shamanism on this on this uh, game, right?
3: Yes, yes. In fact, a lot of where my information is coming from is the star beings.
4: Yeah. So can you give us um, some examples or stories about things that you have learned throughout your life that uh, have to do with synchronization and how shamanistic um, talents have been able to Empower you and keep you going on the planet. Can you give us some examples of things that have happened to you
3: personally? Sure. Let me see. Just a matter of which one. <laughs> oh, decisions, decisions. You know, at this point, Lavendar, I really live my life according to the shamanic principles. I don't. I don't think with my brain. Um, I think with my entire being. And so I'll just get a prompting and just move with it. And and but I know that I have to set my intention. And my bottom line, those are things I teach very strongly because we're always creating something. The question is, are we doing it consciously or not? And so I work very, very carefully to make sure that I'm real clear on what my intent is and under which circumstances that I want to achieve that. And then I just then I just follow my promptings and I follow the omenology I see in the world. So two years ago, I had my school in uh, the Front Range of Colorado And things were going along fine and everything. And all of a sudden, one day I went, oh, I have to sell this house. I have to go to a deeper level of living what I teach so that I can then teach a deeper level of what I live. And I sold everything I owned, and I moved up to the um, Continental Divide, actually, where the waters begin for the entire continent, and uh, built a sustainable home on 44 acres. It's totally off-grid. It has a well. Um, then that's been my project for the last two years since I wrote the book, actually, that, you know, so we're still here now. What, the next step was, okay, now what? Well, we're going to need to be living in a different way, and it doesn't mean you're deprived or anything, but that you ju- we are not sustainable the way we are, and we need to start making moves to do that. So I didn't just one day wake up and think I have to do this. I just woke up one day and knew, I had to do this, and it was by following my promptings and by following the omenology coming at me and by following my journey information and by being very clear on my intent. My intent was to do my work here, to really make a difference, and then this was the the change. At my age, it was pretty radical.
4: So is your school close to where you live? Is, is, Is it the same location?
3: Yes, um I hold classes up here. I had in this beautiful um uh turn of the century schoolhouse of all places. Um so it's it's a community center that I hold classes here. I also travel and teach, um, you know, do do it at different places as well. So it's it's not like it's stuck in one place. But yes, this is this is where I like to. If I do the big retreats, I like to do them here. It's beautiful. The water's clear. The, uh, there's the Arkansas River on one side, and all these amazing mountains surrounding us. And it's a really nice place to really reconnect with nature, life, and of course, sh- shamanic teachings are. Earth and star-based, and we have both here in a beautiful, beautiful display.
4: Good. Now, you mentioned that our physical bodies are, can function as gates, gates to the stars. Tell us a little bit about
3: that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have forgotten three-fourths of what we are, and we think of our physical bodies as just these lumps of flesh that we walk around in. But um, every endocrine gland... Houses is the is the, the the seed or the the anchor for a chakra, and there's something that goes on between the endocrine glands, which create um, um, uh, a frequency, but theirs is, is a mechanical frequency, a mechanical wave, and then when it moves into the chakra system, it becomes an electromagnetic wave. The electromagnetic waves created by our chakra system create our auric field or the toroidal field around us that then can interface with the toroidal field of the planet, of the sun, of the stars, okay? The Celtic people believe that your your soul goes to the edge of the universe and beyond, and in this way it does. So if we can refine and tune our system and uh, process ourselves enough and get uh, enough of our frequency bandwidth back, we actually can use our intent and these gateways created by our, the toroidal field of our body with the toroidal fields of the earth and the sun and, and galactic center for that matter and travel with our consciousness in inter, intergalactically and interstellarly and it. It's it's what where the information came from that built the pyramids. It's where the information came from that did the Mayan calendar. You know, there was not the cultural base back then for this to happen any other way. And now we have an opportunity to evolve back to a place where we can have this interface. and But it's anchored here through our physical bodies.
4: So what you're talking about to me is called galactic shamanism.
3: That's what I call it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... <laughs>
4: that that is an earth shamanism that's galactic shamanism and i think that you're taking people from earth shamanism to galactic shamanism isn't that correct
3: Yes, really that's kind of organically what started happening because uh that you know, we, we think we're alone here but we're really not. And this is not the first time that we've been communing with people from the stars. You know, everybody expects a little green man to come down and abduct you, but you know no, we've been communing all along. The the Hopi have this beautiful ceremony with the kachinas whereby the dancers dress up as a kachina doll, but it's actually to in order to channel stellar beings. Uh, This has been going on forever, and the information that we're missing, because we disconnected from our ability to do that, is is massive. Yeah.
4: I know that when I met Jamie Sams, who did the animal cards and the sacred path cards, when I met her back in 1987, she came to me and she said, you know, I have all this galactic information, but people just don't want it. What am I going to do? And I said, well, you're you're part Cherokee. I said, why don't you go to your grandmothers on the reservation and get the Star People uh, rendition of of what they have to say. And she did. And she came back and she wrote those two books. Fantastic. I had never heard that story. That's exciting because I love her work. Yeah, I love her work, too. In fact, she sent me uh, a copy of it and I started using it. I used it religiously for a couple of years and then I got the the second deck, the Sacred Pass Cards, and I studied with them every day. When I'd have coffee or tea of a morning, it was a ritual that I put myself through for many years. And then that's finally amazing. I put both decks together. And when I
3: put both decks together, wow, that's really oh. powerful.
4: And that's I, amazing. I,
3: I have a class that I teach. It's, it's called um, Omenology. And I teach people how to use, and I use her cards in that, um, among very, you know, quite a few other things. But teach people how to work Omenology through beautiful gifts like she brought through in those cards.
4: Yes, and I don't know, is she still on the planet? I haven't heard anything about her in a long time, have you?
3: No, I haven't. Um of course I don't necessarily have my finger on the pulse of that, but I really haven't. But oh my goodness, whether she's here or whether she's helping yeah. from out there, what a beautiful
4: gift. I know. I, I, I love all I love the, the cards and, and we use them quite often um with with some of our clients and, and we pass that information on when we do our starseed quest and so I, I really like to promote her work. We we've sent several people back to Germany and England, you know, with, with those cards.
3: Oh fantastic. Okay.
4: So you speak um about the current system as being illusionary. Um tell us more about what that is.
3: Well, um again everything, you know, I love Einstein. He says um uh, Um, Everything is is frequency, and that's all there is to it. Match the frequency of the reality you want, and you can't help but get that reality. It can be no other way. This is not philosophy. This is physics. And that's pretty much a direct quote of the way he stated it. And it really kind of sums it up in that. This system is designed to control the people in it, and it controls people in it by controlling the reality but it's certainly a very narrow bandwidth of what all is real or what all is possible. But because of the compromise that we have all suffered through soul loss, through trauma, through the, the polluted food, the polluted water, the polluted air, the, the programming of the schools, the you know programming, the subliminal stuff that goes through the media, we have become limited to the reality that we're being spoon fed. Uh, it's like the, the world that's been pulled over your eyes, is like they said in The Matrix. And so that, to me, is illusionary because the illusion is this is all there is, and this is such a tiny portion of what is, and a lot of it is the counterfeit.
4: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the other day they, they made some big announcement about finding, I don't know, 500 and something new galaxies out there. So you wonder, how can people still say, oh, we're the only ones here?
3: <laughs> well, five, 500 new galaxies. galaxies. Yeah, I'm going to tell you how I many years ago I was in college studying, and because I you know got a degree in psychology, I had to learn statistics and calculus. And, uh, well, statistics class, way back then, it became blatantly obvious. It's statistically impossible for us to be the only ones, even the only ones very much like us. So I don't know. I can't. I can't imagine why there's
4: some groups on the planet that still think that you know we're only five thousand years old and we're all that there is.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we we crawled out of the ocean at one point. It's like really, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's it's it's, and that is the illusion. Um, and. If and this is why the the whole ET community and everybody's been trying to find out, you know, what is out there, what's going on, where's the where's the the proof of this? Is because once that knowledge becomes common knowledge, the people are not going to be controlled and held like they are right now, because that's going to that's going to be like the Earth is going from round to flat to round. It's going to be that monumental, um, and we're real close to that point.
4: Right. By the way, on Saturday Night Live, last um, Saturday, uh, and you can go on YouTube and find it, they had a skit about abductions that was just absolutely hysterical. I want people to go back on YouTube and find it. Uh, I I couldn't even believe that they did it. It was like so over the top for for Saturday Night Live to go into that. And the other thing I'd like to announce is next Sunday on the National Geographic Channel, uh, there's a show called The Cult of Mary, which will be very interesting. So I just wanted to put that out there to our audience. So what else can we talk about now? What would you like to bring to our audience about some of the wisdom that you've learned through the years about things that you've actually participated in do you grow your own food are you part of a co-op up there with people uh you know doing sustainable living tell us a little bit more about things that are happening for you there
3: sure um yes we i grow my own food i have a what they call a dome greenhouse it's totally solar and it's in the shape of a geodesic dome, and it has solar uh fans in it that cool it and it has uh beeswax uh hydraulics that open and close the um little flaps based on the temperature outside. It has a passive solar gain of a great big water tank um in the north, so it keeps it cooler in the in the summer and warmer in the winter and you can grow in it um three hundred and sixty five days a year
1: and then wow. there's
3: this Yeah, and then there's this community up here, a small little community, a lot of retired people that love to grow their own stuff, and so then we have, of course, the farmer's markets and this and that, but um, while there's a lot of like-minded people up here, I'm not in a commune or a community like that. Yeah,
4: so do you have your own well water?
3: Yes, I do. Uh I actually witched the well, (laughs) used shamanic skills and witched the well and found a a nice producing one. um, now they call me Gwilda the Water Witch, right? Yeah. <laughs> do you go to shamanistic
4: conventions or where people, I mean, is this part of something that you, uh, do you put together uh, conferences with other shamans or, uh, I, I haven't noticed anything out there like that and I was just wondering if, if that's going on and I just haven't tapped into it.
3: Right, no, I haven't been doing that There was a time when I would really like to have But there's uh, uh, I don't know, everybody kind of has their own Rituals and um, I don't know, there's a, there's a lot of Proprietary attitudes still About the different practices I'm hoping to see it become more unified But in the meantime I just do my little thing And serve the people that I can And, and, um, and call it good
4: Yeah, okay So um, I, I know that that there's probably a lot of people that, that want to maybe call in and ask ask you questions. Are you willing to talk to some of our listeners? Oh, sure. I'd be more than happy to. So, Ario, at this time I'd like to uh, pass it over to you, and thank you so much for being our guest, and I, we, we will have you back on in, in the future. Thank you so Governor, much.
3: It's just been so fun to work with you again.
4: Thank you.
0: Great. Well, um, if you are already on the switchboard and you have a question for Gwilda, you'll need to just press 1 so that we know you want to come on the air. And if you're not on the switchboard already and you're just listening on the computer, then you'll need to dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1 again so we know you want to come on the air. So while we are um, waiting for that to happen... I have never heard that term omenology, so could you, you know, expound a little bit more on that?
3: Sure, and I'm not even so sure if I didn't coin it or not. I don't know after you know 20 years of teaching, but um, <laughs> to me, what omenology is, it's the study of omens, and there's omens in every aspect of life. So, like this morning, I'm driving down to 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 um, or dr- actually driving up the canyon. And I've got some stuff on my mind, and I'm thinking, well, would it be better to do it this way or to do it that way? And is this something that I really want to commit my time to about a particular project? And all of a sudden, this bald eagle flies right next to my, my, my vehicle over the river, because I'm right run, running along the river there, and just flies with me for probably a good mile. And I went, okay, that's a good omen right there, because one of my totems... <laughs> Is a bald eagle that 's come in different visions of my life purpose, so it 's like that was very clear to me that this is uh whatever I am contemplating doing right now is in line with my life purpose um as i intend to to operate it so um the other thing about omenology is you could there's various practices and that's what i teach whereby um you can use the elements you can use divination you can um use journey work in order to clarify the omens that are coming to you um, ravens will circle around me like crazy. And if I get a whole bunch of them circling, I go into a journey trance and just ask them what they've got for me. One time when that happened, they took me to my mother's house in Casper, Wyoming, and flew me through the front door in spirit. And she was sitting in her chair uh, with blue lips and swollen and didn't look good. And they said, your mother needs you. So I came back into my body, you know, and I was like three and a half hours away. And I called my sister, and she said, she, you give me the willies, Gwilda. I was just about to call you. Something's wrong with mom. So I drove, I had my son drive me to to Wyoming right then and there, and she was having congestive heart failure. And, you know, hadn't told anyone and would refuse and go to the hospital. So that's an example of how, you know, middle world animals, actual physical animals can bring you omens about things that are going on in your world if you know to listen and know how to find the information from them.
0: And is this, it, it, it seems to me that, they would, like the the like the ravens, for example, they were familiar with you,
3: were they not? Yes, yeah, yeah. They're, they've been one of my strong totems for years and years and years and years, but they show up for me in ordinary reality. They show up for me in the feather. So, like, I used to go on backpacking trips for two weeks by myself every summer, and that was kind of like my little vision quest to rebalance myself. And this one year, this one raven, He'd fly over my tent every morning at 7 o'clock and wake me up and then just track me and to, my, to where, I, where I stopped to put camp the next night. I could see him circling around above and, you know, playing on the currents like he does, but kind of hopping from tree to tree and keeping me in his sights. And he was with me for 12 days.
0: Wow. And do you make you know, conscious contact or you were just aware that he was there? Um, I could see him and I could
3: feel him, but I'll tell you I'll tell you another story. Same Raven um, that I in, ended up making contact with and kind of a shapeshift sort of thing it was really interesting. I was kind of in an altered state because I've been backpacking by myself and you're out in the wild and you kind of get the city off of you. And I've been hiking all day and I took a break for lunch and I laid on a hillside. And it was in what they call a park. In other words, it's an opening in the trees. And I could see the ravens soaring around, playing on the currents up there. And I'm kind of half drifting, and I'm thinking, ah, I really wish I knew what it felt like to do that. And all of a sudden, I was looking back down at me, and I could feel the wind in my feathers, and I could hear it as loud, the wind in the feathers, and I could feel how you move a primary feather just like tilting a finger, and your whole attitude changes. And it was like it was so disconcerting, it happened so fast and then boom I was back down on my body. But I personally believe that the raven granted me viewing through his eyes and through his his body because I really was so desiring it.
0: Wow. That was giving me chills. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. Well we have um we have a caller ready to go here and um <clears throat> If I'm reading this correctly, we're going to be talking to Padshi. I'm going to open this mic up. Hang on a second. Mm-hmm. Hello, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Is it Padshi?
1: Padashi. Uh,
0: uh, Padashi? Yes,
1: Padashi. Or you can call me Tad.
0: <clears throat> that works better. <laughs> okay, Pad. Mm-hmm. Thank you for okay. calling. And do you have a question for, Gil- for Gwilda?
1: Yes, I do. Um, so I am interested in... Um, some of for information about the physiological correlates to shamanic journey. So I understand that uh she has some scientific background. So I was wondering if she, if she has come across any uh data related to um the brain wave study, electroencephalogram study as it relates to shamanic journey. And also, specifically, uh, one of my students recently asked me if there's any study done related to the journey experience when two people are journeying together and seeing the same um, lucid dreaming and um, people are seeing seeing the same content in the dream. And I'm familiar with that um, type of experience um, by myself, but I was wondering if she has any uh, information that she has encountered with uh, as it relates to this time of simultaneous journey and then its physio- physiological correlates?
3: Yes, Paji. Actually, I do have. Um, okay. There's been physiological studies done, and because I work with a lot of doctors, and they're mm-hmm. fascinated by what I do, they've mm-hmm. done several studies on me. And mm-hmm. one of them that has been reproduced on me, and well, as well as other of my students, is They measure the brain waves and when mm-hmm. I go into a shamanic trance, mm-hmm. my alpha waves drop to 7.5 hertz, that of the surface of the planet. Uh-huh. I can reproduce it at will and consistently. Mm-hmm. Then another study that was done on me is I have another way of doing medical intuitive, where I would mm-hmm. lay a person on a um, uh, massage table, and mm-hmm. I'd sit up their head and put my hands under their head, and mm-hmm. they had us both wired. And so mm-hmm. your brainwaves are supposed to be like a, a thumbprint. print. It's, you know, you have your own, you vary within that, but you have your own markers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they took the, the baseline, and then mm-hmm. I went into the journey. And first, my, my brainwaves shift, you know, they could see that I shifted down to 7.5 hertz. But uh-huh. then the strangest thing happened when I started empathing with the person on the table. My entire signature, brainwave signature, changed to be more like the client than like my own. Mm. And that remained that way until I came back out of the person's space and out of wow. the journey and then I went back into my own signature. So we mm-hmm. actually do have studies that show um how this is working in the brain.
0: Oh. And then
3: I used to teach children's classes
1: mm-hmm.
3: and for the crystal children and the rainbow children because they're so gifted, they're shamanically gifted.
1: Right. And oh. so
3: I would teach them how to journey. Mhm. So that they could um, uh, control what they were, because it's difficult mm. to be in the world uh, mm-hmm. when you're shamanically gifted and nobody else around you understands it.
0: Right. So
3: um, I had a whole room of these little boogers, they're kindergarten age up through third grade, mm-hmm. and taught them how to journey. And they all went to the same place and were in the lower world and were playing around a lake.
0: Mm-hmm. And I had
3: to go get them. <laughs>
0: you know, oh, they were oh just my. so
3: gifted that way
0: mm-hmm. And so
3: uh, their parents agreed And we did the brainwave test on them And mm-hmm. they actually entrained On each other They were more alike they, It's like they almost kind of had a group mind I don't know how mm. else to put it So they—they they, there was a, a signature that they created together That was mm-hmm. a combination of But different than any of them individually
1: wow. So there's
3: a lot going on there And we're finding more and more every day
1: mm. Uh are those studies uh, published anywhere?
3: No, uh-uh. No, we just, mm. we just did them out of curiosity. Wow. It would be fun if we published them, and I could mm-hmm. possibly chase some of them down.
1: But we wonderful. just did them out
3: of curiosity. Because for me, yeah. I know this stuff works, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just fun that our instrumentation is getting refined right. enough that we can now document it.
1: Mm. So is this like uh, easy topography that you're looking at when you see the... Um, uh synchronicity among the children's brains?
3: Yes, it was very much like that. Although okay. I've also worked with um a gentleman that was um uh just kind of a pioneer in the biofeedback.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: so there was biofeedback information that came through as well, which was
1: pretty I see. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Are you planning to uh present it or um uh publish this summer in the future?
3: I don't know if I've, I have so so many things I'm in the process of writing and creating right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I, that might not be mine to do, mm-hmm. but I really do believe that as shamanism becomes, you know, more and more prevalent mm-hmm. um, and more and more recognized, that somebody will pick up the gauntlet and, and do those studies where mm-hmm. they have, you know, the control groups and the whole thing. We didn't have that,
1: right? But
3: okay. uh, but I I really hope that does happen because it's time.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, thank you so much. That's very pleasure, rich pleasure. information.
0: So nice. so nice talking to you.
1: you. Nice talking to you. Thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: That was a fabulous question. Anna. Isn't he uh, lovely?
3: I, what a nice man. Yeah.
0: Ah, um, and that is, again, bridging science with what people would interpret as, as magic when you can you can do things like that, and uh, and they're really—I mean—magic is is just simply is the manipulation of the quantum field, right?
3: Absolutely, that's what it is. Yeah, that combination of string theory and all that fun stuff—it's—it's—it's it's, mm. it's just becoming masterful at controlling your own frequencies, so you can interface at the quantum level for a desired outcome or to gain information.
0: Are there any uh, kind of um maybe physical um, signs or symptoms that might tell a person that you're either um, um like really really narrow or that you're opening up um are there any any you know kind of markers that that can that people can start to investigate to see for themselves yeah. where they're at?
3: Yes, there really is, and just as an observer from the outside, if you if you go out, go to Walmart, you'll see a pretty good example. You know the people of Walmart pictures. There's a pretty good mm-hmm. example of people whose frequency bandwidth is so narrow that they're failing to thrive okay, they're becoming toxic, they're, you know what I'm saying, I'm not cu- cursing Walmart, but just those pictures where right. they see people that are carrying a lot of weight in funny places and they, they're they're dull, their, their baby might be, you know, falling out of the cart and nobody notices, that sort of thing. So um, we just become stupid and slow and sluggish because we're so toxic and the frequency bandwidth is becoming so narrow that our lives are no longer we're no longer thriving. And that's the extreme of the, of the end, you know, the, of that bandwidth where you see people on the street where they've just lost all hope, they have no home, their lives are not working at all. So, you know, that's, that's the real extreme portion of it. And then on the other portion, when somebody's really done a lot of work, they seem to just kind of, on some level, they glow. And on some level, they're, they're so productive in so many different ways that they just stand a head and shoulders above the rest, And people go, how did you do that? How did you work that? Well, you just become more of who you are. It's our birthright. That's that's our birthright. And so you you find yourself any place in between there. And personally, when I'm under a lot of stress and a lot's going on, I can start to feel my body getting overwhelmed. I can start to feel the toxicity build. And I have to take steps right then and there to um, correct the situation or my frequency will start to drop, as will my abilities.
0: Well, yeah, you just start <clears throat> going out of tune like an instrument exactly yeah, you have to exactly. keep, keep those harmonics um on perfect pitch yes. and <laughs> is there a um is there a technique where you can where you do like a, a shamanistic journey with your own body if you if you had some kind of uh, symptom or or a twinge or something like that can you actually go into your own body and see and discern Yeah,
3: what? I sure can. And of course there's that uh you know don't work on yourself kind of thing because sometimes yeah. you can't see the forest through the trees or you're you're scared or worried and so oftentimes I'll have some somebody that I've trained also journey for me and we can compare notes. Um also there's these journeys I do whereby in spirit I I travel through the elements, water, air, earth, and fire, and that's a real rebalancer. It's a healing modality all its own. So there's a lot of different techniques that I have and can use and that are easily taught and learned.
0: And you have a lot of these in your book, do you? Yeah, the
3: book. This the first book that's out right now. So we're still here now. What there is quite a bit of that in the book. Absolutely, the principles of why we get out of tune, the principles of what we can do to correct the situation.
0: Mhm. And do you have people that that travel to your um, retreat from all over?
3: Yes, I've I've worked internationally. Sometimes I'll go overseas, but oftentimes people will come here from there, um, and it's getting more so that way, which is really exciting.
0: Right, so they and they can can people can come for various lengths of time, depending on you know their circumstance.
3: Well, the retreats. Um, when I'm doing the retreats for the p- practitioner's program, they're about a week long, uh, and there's six of them. But um, also I'm in the process of developing, I've done in the past, and I'm in the process of developing now, personal growth and development retreats, whereby the, the skills that we need to evolve in this time as a person um, will be taught. And those will be shorter retreats, more, more doable within um, assignments and mentorship via email and that sort of thing.
0: Well, that's great, so that you can really be of service to anyone, anywhere.
3: Yes, uh, I, I do long-distance shamanic sessions uh, internationally. It's really, uh, technology is a wonderful thing right now.
0: Oh, yeah, as long as it's your slave <laughs> and not your master. <laughs> to the other way around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a fine line. <clears throat> but, I mean, sure, uh, you know, the Internet has is really helping to unify Our civilization, where you know people from different nations are not quite so um, separated as as they used to be. You know when it, especially when you know, remember when when calling long distance was a big deal and you had to be like really running up, (laughs) you know, and that's that's kind of a thing in the past. So uh, and then with with Skype and we call people all over the world, as I'm sure you do, um, right and it and it really the world seems to be shrinking in that way um thanks to the technology um but then there's the you know the the other side of the coin um where the technology has gone so far that it's actually carrying people away from their own power exactly and, uh, and from
3: each other uh-huh that's that's the people who are walking down the street you know side by side with their each everybody's faces in a different cell phone. Or at the dinner table, everybody's face is a di- in a different cell phone. It's, you know, we're g- getting closer to the world and losing
0: each other. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that just that kind of drives me crazy. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I see kids getting off of a school bus, and and they they could walk right into a tree. I know, it, or a car.
3: That's so scary.
0: That's thumbs going. <laughs> and it just, because children. Um, until you're sixteen, your skull isn't isn't at full thickness. Children right. are so much more susceptible to that radiation
2: exactly.
0: and you know and it takes fifteen or twenty years to to get to the point where you're incapacitated because of it and it just um, it's so upsetting and outraging to me because these children are there are jewels you know, right. kids that are. You know, 21st century children, and and they're walking around with this like parents. Parents, it's up to you. Um, you do and something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because doesn't that electromagnetic pollution interfere with our own bioelectric field?
3: Well, it absolutely does. And quite frankly, that's that's the whole idea, is to keep us under a particular uh, frequency ceiling so that we're controllable but the beauty of it is and this is what gives me hope is after a point as we regain more of our personal frequency they don't affect us anymore it's like you know electromagnetic frequency passes through the walls and we can too and when we when our frequency becomes high enough it just passes through us and doesn't harm us but right now because we're you know occupying fairly narrow bandwidth it does scramble our scramble our, our um our uh energies and it's it's detrimental.
0: I often wonder about you know the cell towers as they're broadcasting how many billions and trillions of bits of information of people having conversations and and what if people are yelling at each other and 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 those are the things that are passing through you. <laughs> you know? Well, exactly, and that's,
3: you know, that's, that's been the way of the world, and now it's being boosted, if you will, by going yeah. through radio waves and cellular waves, and, and it is absolutely impactful, and that's why we have to be so mindful to um, take care of ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually um, so that so that we aren't, you know, we can counteract what's going on around us. You know, we have to have these bodies to be here to do our work, and so it's going to take a lot of maintenance because right now this place is in a pretty coarse situation. And it's it can be disheartening, but I think that if we realize that we are not as limited as we believe and we can turn this around if we turn ourselves around, and it's just an inside job one person at a time.
0: You know, it has to be because it is up to us. <laughs> the governments are definitely not interested in our evolution, I don't know. Uh, it's diametrically yeah. <laughs> opposed to <laughs> They're not only not interested in it they're doing everything they can to stop it because they want to hang on to the old way but exactly. um and i have this conversation with a, with a lot of different people um and as lavender always says you can come now or you can come later but you are coming and <laughs> you know the change is going to happen and and we can go with it and have it be you know a, a upward spiral or kicking and screaming, and but it's it's going to happen, and the 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 um, the star beings are not going to let us ruin the planet. I mean, they would, you know, you can you can grow more people, but planets are a little hard to come by. You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That that's yeah, kind of really is not it? <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> They're not. Yeah, they're, they draw the line. You know, we're not allowed to blow ourselves up. We're not allowed to, you know, nuke each other anymore, even though we think we can. Um, they're just. They're not going to allow that. Um, although they don't interfere, there is a certain line, after, you know, over which they they say no. You can't do that. It's like parents giving kids freedom, but they can't go and and, uh, you know, stick their head in the stove. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
3: Exactly, which we we have a propensity to doing, I believe.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 and you know, I know there's a lot of star people. You know, you mentioned you know home homeless people, and and lavender has talked about this a lot because there are a lot of star seeds that have not been able to handle the density of the third dimension, and and they just kind of get lost. Yeah, it's taken a
3: lot of us out. Um, I had some information some time ago that uh, as as opposed to the star teams that came, how many are still here and functioning. It's it's a pretty high mortality rate for just that reason.
0: Well, we all knew the job was hard when we took it, but, you know, the –
3: The reality is ever so different than what we think before we come in.
0: Right. (laughs) Right, and we just have to stay focused on, on the importance of what we're here to do. Uh, and more than importance, I mean, it's mandatory. It's ne- it's a necessity that that we, as gracefully as possible, go through this shift with as many of us intact as we can. And, exactly,
3: and as, because it's the 100's monkey theory. Uh, the the more of us mm-hmm. can be intact, and the more we can help those around us, just even a little bit, uh, cumulatively, it makes all the difference.
0: I think um that there are a lot of very high functioning star seeds, and it's always the responsibility for us to help each other, you know and when you if you see someone and you know what you kind of know. When when you're looking at someone else as a starseed, there's just something in the eyes and, and you feel like, oh, you know, even if it's a total stranger, it's like, I bet I could be friends with that person. It's something I like about them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if people are, especially starseeds, if they're having a hard time, we ha- we have to help each other. And it's like, listen, we're all going to go down there, and, and if I fall down, would you please come and, you know, give me a leg up? And that's right. it's kind of a promise we all made. And certainly... You know, when you see, you know, homeless people, if you can help them, help them. But if you can't help them, don't judge them.
3: Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, what has, what has really gotten to me is how many homeless people there are now. I mean, it's, you know, maybe you'd see one or two a year uh, when I was in college. And now it's like, oh, my goodness, it's it's all over you know, and it could be any one of us. It could be any one of us. Circumstances be just right. It could be any one of us. And so, you know, having compassion for the people around us, regardless of, of what what their life is doing, and at the same time discerning proximity. Is this mine to do? Can I be of assistance here, or is this, is this is this their path that they're choosing for their own reasons? And being able to discern that, I think, is the key.
0: Oh, absolutely. And and what do you think? Because I had this this question the other day because there was there was a guy standing you know on the grocery store parking lot, you know family in need. He's got his little cardboard sign, and I mean I pulled over and I gave him some money, and then as I'm driving away, I'm thinking energetically, did I do the right thing? Yeah,
3: um, yeah. You <laughs> wonder, did I just create a de- a karmic deficit? You know, it, it, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's so yeah. hard to know. It's so hard to know what's the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, because you just, um, you you know, you never know. There there are there are uh, star beings and angels and um, Pleiadians walking around in human form just to see where we are. You know, how are you treating your fellow man? Mm-hmm. And do you have compassion? And and that's that was kind of you know, and it was you know Christmas time, and I thought you know here you know i gave him some money and and then i thought well i was just kind of split on whether uh i would do that again in another right. situation
3: yeah you know, you know what i do is, is like i was speaking earlier it's just i follow my promptings in the moment i don't have a canned answer for any circumstance um and increasingly i find that's more the truth with me and when i do that increasingly i find i'm doing the right thing at the right time i don't figure it out in my mind i i just kind of follow my gut follow my prompting and um and that seems to be working so <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and i think that that is really the best advice that that you could give because yeah i mean if you if you follow your you follow your intuition uh, you're going to be doing the right thing. It's when you don't <laughs> that you end up uh, kind of kicking yourself. I knew I shouldn't have done that, but you did. <laughs> exactly. I, I should have done that, but you didn't. Um, yeah. Yeah, you so understanding to... that
3: there is a part of us that's connected to the larger whole and can find the right path in any circumstance, but it's not necessarily our physical mind. And so being able to, to trust that there is that part of yourself and keep yourself clear enough that you can hear it.
0: Well there's the key isn't it?
3: Yes it is.
0: You no, know, I mean star seeds by nature. I mean every human has that psychic um seed but whether it's you know being nurtured and developed is the, is the question. And certainly if the um all the things that are going on that can shut that down it's you really have to put out some effort
2: Yes, you do. You
0: um you know tend the garden of that psychic seed to develop those, you know, the the intuition and the um uh, the journeying abilities and all of the things that you do. You really have to have um a, a good fertile place for that to happen because if you're if you're living next to a cell phone tower and in, in, in a crack house, you know, your chances are you're going to have a little bit more trouble. Um, Exactly,
3: you know, choosing your environment and choosing, making conscious choices about what you expose yourself to is very, very important at this time. Because like you say, the cards are stacked against us, and yet we don't have to be subject to that.
0: Well, that's right. That's right. When you see it for what it is, you know, don't step in that. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to get any on you. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to get that on me. So let me ask our audience one more time: if you have a, a question or a comment for Guilda, um, if you're already on the switchboard, just press one. And if you're listening on the computer, then dial nine one seven eight eight nine eight two nine two. And then once you're in, then press one if you would like to speak to Guilda. So you live on top of a mountain in Colorado on forty-four acres. Yes,
3: I'm. I'm not on top of a mountain, um, but I'm surrounded by really high mountains. Uh, Mount Ontario is not far from here. It's over fourteen thousand feet. I'm. I sit here and look at the Twin Sisters every day. It's very, very beautiful here. Um, what I am is where the the uh, the continental divide. So basically, the waters run to both sides of the continent from up here. So it's the headwaters, really of uh, of the water, which is, there's some reason for that, I know that, um, I could feel that, I don't understand all the ramifications, but I know that water being a crystalline structure, crystals being programmable, if enough people can be in the right place at the right time, holding the frequency, then it is distributed um, through the water to the, the, the planet.
0: I love that. I love that so you I mean your guidance was right on and how great that you you know that there was a place that that you found that you were that you were led to so and <clears throat> you run the school um year round
3: yes yeah sure do um I do different retreats and different things but it's it's a year round pro- process
0: well that is wonderful so um I don't think we're going to have any more uh, callers with questions here. So um, let me just kind of recap your info for everyone that's listening. Your radio show, which is The Science of Magic, can be found on um, xzbn.net. And you have those um, links on your main website as well. Um, where there's the and then your main site, which is Gwilda, W-I-A-K-A, W-I-A-K-A, dot .com. Um, and through there, they can book, sh- book sessions. They can order your book. We're still here. Now what? As well as um, signing up for private sessions. And um, if someone wanted to um, take some of your courses, that can all be done on, on your main site, as well as the Science of Magic, or is the Science of Magic more just the radio show?
3: Yeah, the science of magic.net is the radio show and the podcast and um findyourpathhome.com is the school website and you can uh find it has a bookstore and you I also have uh workbooks and stuff that I use for the class I've written those and they're available through there too and my books are also available in brick and mortar places and amazon.com and they're all over the
2: place kind of <laughs>
3: so um uh, oh. and then my personal website is wiyaka dot com.
0: Excellent. You know, I just love your energy and the, what you are doing for the planet and sitting up there with the with the water running out in both directions, um, you know, programmed with, with high frequencies. I just, I'm so grateful that you are on the planet now and doing Thank what you. you do and being who you are.
3: I'm grateful that you guys are doing what you do and being what you are. Sometimes that we feel like we're alone in the wilderness, and the, the the service that you you ladies are providing is amazing. So thank you for being who you are and doing what you do.
0: Well, it is it is a privilege to to be doing this. It's something that it gives great purpose, and it's I think it's really essential because people started waking up. I mean, there were a lot of people awake before 2012, but after 2012, um, it's been really You know, on a a fast track And um, I kind of made a joke a few months ago It's like, yeah, when you wake up, you're hungry And (laughs) they're hungry, they want information They want to know, they have questions And and they're looking at the stars And they're um, understanding more about Well, through our site anyway About astrology and and Lavender's discovery of star markings Has really um, given a lot of clarity to a lot of people so we're all working on a giant mission with all these different little facets and we're just very proud to be um one of the facets along with you. And I do hope that you will come back and visit. No, with I'd us absolutely again.
3: love to. I just love working with you guys.
0: Well, it is extremely mutual. So um I wanna thank you so much for spending this time with us and From all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, we thank you so much for tuning in and we encourage you to check out everything that Gould is doing um, because we certainly endorse this. So I want everyone to have a great week. Try to, um, uh, what is the word, Um, transmute any Christmas stress of others around you and enjoy this season um, away from the commercialism and remember, it is, it's is—it's the birth of light on the planet 2,000 years ago. So have great holidays. We will be back next week. And until then, everyone, take care and be joyful. <laughs> Bye-bye. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.